as I began to pray about where to go next, I, uh, I kind of felt the Lord was leading me to teach the book of Jonah. And maybe that's just for me. Maybe you guys get to hear me talk to myself for the next couple of weeks. And uh, I didn't really want to teach the book of Jonah. I wanted to teach something else. And I actually, at one point this week, started looking at preparing another Bible study. And the Lord kept pushing me back to Jonah, pushing me back to Jonah, pushing me back to Jonah. So if you would, open your Bible to the book of Jonah. Obadiah Jonah. It's almost to the end of the New Testament, if you're not familiar. Obadiah Jonah, Micah, Nahum. If you're in that area, you're in the right place. Page 813 in my Bible. Doesn't help you? We're almost all the way to the end of the New Testament. So pretty close to, we in the middle of the Bible? Well, almost. No, not really. Jonah. You know, obedience is an important principle in Christianity. Learning to obey the Lord. And sometimes it's to go somewhere. Sometimes it's to stop doing something. Sometimes it's to start doing something. And Jonah uh, has a lot to learn about obedience. And I think that we have a lot to learn from Jonah As if you know the story, he is not very obedient in the beginning. And even in the end, he does what he's supposed to do, but his attitude in his heart is not right towards that. Uh, If you're not familiar with Jonah, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, we learn that Jonah is a prophet. He's a prophet of God. Think of him as a pastor, as someone who would profess and teach God's word. He was prophesying during the time of King Jeroboam the third, or the second rather. Uh, the nation Israel, if you remember correctly, had been divided into two, two separate countries. The ten northern tribes were known as Israel. The two southern tribes were known as Judah. And at this time, Jonah is in the northern section of Israel under King Jeroboam the second, and he is prophesying there. He was a prophet in this northern kingdom. Second Kings chapter 14, 25 tells us that He, meaning Jeroboam, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, or Arabia, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath. Uh, All of this kind of sets the stage that Jonah, what you're about to see, what you're about to read about Jonah, what you're about to learn, is uh, he was a pastor. He was a prophet of God. He was someone who knew God. He knew the word of God. Uh, You're going to find that he just didn't want to do what God called him to do, what he set forth for him to do. So let's pick up in chapter 1, verse 1. I'll read the first few verses, and we'll talk about it. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The book, the letter, the, it opens up with the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, we're not told exactly how Jonah received this word from the Lord and how the Lord spoke to him, but we can be sure that because Jonah was a prophet, because it's written this way, he was aware that the Lord was speaking to him. He knew what was taking place. And when the Lord spoke to Jonah here in these couple of verses, this is my kind of speaking. It's crystal clear. He gives him a mission. He tells him exactly what to do. He says, arise, get up, Jonah, right now, go to Nineveh, cry out against it. And God even told him why there, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, sometimes the Lord speaks to us, and 
we only get part of the plan. We only get a small little step. I want you to take this step before I'm going to give you the rest of the information. But Jonah here has all of it. Go. When? Now. Arise. Means get up. Get going. I want you to go now. Go to Nineveh. Cry out. Tell him why. Tell him what's going on. He's got the whole plan. Get up, Jonah, and get moving. Go on to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, in case you're not familiar with it, was the capital of Assyria. The Assyrians were a cruel and heartless people. They thought nothing of burying their enemies alive or skinning them alive or impaling them on a post out in the hot sun. They were essentially, you could think of it this way, they were enemies of Israel. The Israelites didn't like the Assyrians. And the Assyrians would be the one, would be the nation that God would eventually use to come and conquer Israel. But at this point, they're not friends. They don't really care for each other. Needless to say, Jonah, he didn't really like the people of Nineveh. And he wasn't really happy that God was sending him there and calling them to repent. He had no interest in telling them about the God of Israel. But what we do know is God's command to Jonah was clear. Get up, arise, go to Nineveh, cry out against their wickedness. Why, God? Why would I do such a thing? Just destroy them was probably his attitude. Look, there are enemies, God. Just wipe them out. You know how wicked they are. I don't want to go cry out against their wickedness. I don't want to go bring them to you. Just, would you just zap them and destroy them? And God says, no, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to, and in chapter 3, verse 1, he'll tell him, I want you to go preach a message that I will give you. In other words, I want you to go, and I'll give you the message when you get there, and I want you to share it with the Ninevites. Whenever the Lord calls us, whenever the Lord speaks to us, whenever the Lord commissions us with a mission from him, there's a choice to be made. Do I obey or do I disobey? You can go and do what the Lord calls you to do, or you cannot and choose to disobey. In Jonah's case, it's calling him to go somewhere, but sometimes the Lord calls us to stop something. Sometimes the Lord says, hey, I want you to address this sin in your life, and you have a choice. You can obey it, or you can disobey it. Or he might say, hey, I want you to build a relationship with this neighbor, and you go, I don't like that neighbor, but you can choose to obey it, or you can choose to disobey it. And Jonah here is faced with a choice. Clearly, he didn't like the Ninevites, and you know what the reality of this is? He didn't feel like obeying God. God's command was clear. But Jonah didn't feel like, he didn't want to go obey what God had called him to. He didn't like them. He didn't feel like it. At this very moment, he had a decision. Do I follow my feelings or do I follow God's plan? Many times our decision is faced with the same thing. Do we follow our feelings what God's calling us to do? Or do we follow what God's calling us to do? Whether we want to or whether we don't want to. When it comes to our obedience, it's often the same decision. God or my feelings. Sometimes they line up together and that's great. Then it's easy, but sometimes it's more difficult. Sometimes it's harder. Can I encourage you that when your feelings are in conflict with the will of God, it's always better to choose God's will? Always for he knows you better than yourself. And if you haven't realized your feelings are not a very reliable compass in your life, have you noticed they change? One moment you feel one way, one moment you feel another way. It really doesn't matter how we feel. What matters is, are we walking in obedience to what God calls us to do? And Jonah has this choice to make. Jonah chooses to run from God's commission 
on his life. You see, Jonah could have said, wow, God, I'm going to go there and they're going to they're they're make fun of me, God. They're going to laugh at me. Maybe that's what he thought. Or he could have said, you know what, God, you have, a, you have the power to do something mighty here. You could turn this whole country around. You could call them all to repentance and they could respond. But Jonah says, I don't like those people, God, and I'm not going to them. Look at verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Nineveh was to the northeast of Israel or Jerusalem, and Tarshish was to the west. So he was supposed to go right, and he went left. Or he was supposed to go left, and he went right. Whatever way you want to frame it, he was going the complete opposite direction that that God has called him to. You ever been there? I think we all have at some point or another in our life. But I want you to notice something. It doesn't just say that Jonah didn't just disobey. It wasn't a little thing. It says Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. In other words, God's presence is moving in this direction and Jonah's going, "Uh uh-uh, not me, I'm going that way. I don't want to, I'm not going there. I don't like what God's doing. I'm not going there. He fled. And notice when he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord, he started going down. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He'll go down into the water. He'll eventually go down into the belly of a whale or a fish. Disobedience always leads you downward. It's not going to lead you upward. But the beautiful thing is that even if you know the story, even if you've heard the story, God's not going to stop pursuing Jonah. And he's not going to stop using Jonah. But it's his difficult situation that God will use him in. So I have to ask, I have to consider, what causes Jonah, what caused his desire to flee from the Lord? Why, why did he, what, what was the powerful thing within him? What was driving him to go, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. I'm not leaving the, what God, I'm not doing, I am fleeing from the presence of God. The truth is, in Jonah's case, what it was, it was prejudice. Somewhere along the line, Jonah became prejudiced. He assumed that Jewish people were better than Gentile people. He didn't like the Gentiles. He wanted nothing to do with them. Even in Jesus' day, the Jewish people had the same attitude. They were Samaritans. They didn't, they didn't want anything to do with Samaritans or Gentiles. They were, they were defiling. They were filthy. Rabbis taught that God created Gentiles to be nothing more than kindling to help the fires in hell burn. That was their attitude towards them. They didn't like them, and, and, they, and God would never speak to such a people. Well, they certainly didn't know their Old Testament scriptures. But... We all need to know that racial bigotry is an affront to God. It's not right. It's not biblical. It narrows and it restricts and it puts limits on God's grace. Only my people can receive God. That's what they thought. You can't receive God. Only I can receive God. It restricts God's heart to your specific group. You know, it's important for us to remember that God is not the God of the Americans. God is working around the world in all peoples of all nations. We like to think that he's the God of the Americans, and we like to think that his most important thing is the United States of America, but that's not necessarily true. You don't see us in the Bible unless you lump us in at the end with everybody getting destroyed in Revelation. There's nowhere in the Bible does it really mention the United States of America. We're not there. Now, people have tried to put us in certain places, and they've tried to fix it, but we, we really, you don't find us there. But yet we think that he's so concerned with us. God is a God of people. 
He's concerned with people, and he's concerned with what the people are doing. The nation that he's concerned with is Israel, and then the church being grafted into that. And we always forget that. You see, prejudice, bigotry, racism, it's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. It's a sin problem. We don't realize who we really are. Prejudice is the pinnacle of pride. It's a sin against God's love and creativity. God made all of the people, yet we have a right, or sometimes people say, I, my people group is better than yours. That's what Jonah was thinking. God couldn't possibly, why would you want to do anything with the Assyrians? I don't want to go to Nineveh. You couldn't want anything to do with them. Jonah fled from the presence of God because he didn't like the Gentiles. But there's some other reasons why people might flee from the presence of God. What are some other things that people might, why, why would some other, what are some other reasons why they would disobey the Lord's command to do something? One, they may not believe it's best for them. Two, perhaps they're fearful and insecure in what God's called them to do. Perhaps the Lord's called somebody to take a step of faith. And, I could never do that. You're right, you couldn't, but with God, all things are possible. Perhaps it's insecurity there. Perhaps there's something in their past that would prevent them, and there's something they're worried about that somebody else might find out or whatever it might be. Perhaps it's something there. Maybe it's pure panic on what God wants them to do. I could never do that. I, there's no way I could take that step of faith. Perhaps it's God saying, hey, I want you to quit this sin, or I want you to quit this attitude. I want you to quit this way of thinking, and, and they, I won't do that. I'm not going to conform. Do you realize that's like fleeing? You don't have to actually physically run away to flee God's presence. When God's leading and you're disobedient, you're saying, no, thank you, God. I'm not talking to the person who's struggling with something. I'm talking to the person who goes, I'm not doing it. I'm not, this is where Jonah was. I'm not doing it. So is there something in your life that God has called you to? Maybe that you're struggling to overcome. Maybe that you don't think that you can handle. Think of it this way. What's your Nineveh? Is there a Nineveh in your life that God is saying to you, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to accomplish this. I want you to hand, take this step of faith. And you go, ah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, Lord. I, I, I couldn't do that. I, I could never do something like that. Yes, you could. You have to be willing to obey. It's better to surrender and be empowered by the Lord than to run away from the Lord. It's better to, be, to feel inadequate, to feel insecure, to feel uh, like I can't do this than it is to be in a foot race away from God. To be to the point where I just, I don't, Jonah's going to come to the place, I'd rather die than be obedient to God. That's, just, that's how far he's going to go with this. He decides he doesn't want to cooperate with God's missionary efforts to the Assyrians in Nineveh. He says, no, thank you. I'm not going. And he heads for the port of Joppa or Jaffa. When we visit Israel, we go to, we have lunch in Jaffa. It's the same port, the same place that Jonah would have fled to on the Mediterranean Sea, heading over to Nineveh. He sets sail probably with a one-way ticket. I'm not coming back. Think about this. He had to leave his family. He's a prophet of the Lord. He had to leave whatever ministry he had and says, I am not doing that. Wow. But even, this is our Lord, even in Jonah's disobedience, the Lord pursues him. The Lord goes after him. He really can't flee from the presence of the Lord, can he? He doesn't know that yet. He thinks he can. He thinks we can, he can get away from the presence of the Lord, but he can't. He needs to read more of the Psalms and realize that there's nowhere for him to go from the presence of the Lord, that the Lord is always with him. But he says, I'll try it. I'm out of here. And I love how the Lord just pursues after him. Look at verse 4. But the Lord 
sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that that ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God. And threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, laid down, and was fast asleep. When we studied Matthew, Jesus calmed the storm. Now, he's creating the storm. It says he sent out a great wind. He wants to shake things up a bit. He wants to get Jonah's attention. Jonah, I've got work for you to do. This storm was so fierce that these seasoned sailors are scared to death. They're scared for their life. The ship was literally, what did the scripture say? About to be broken up. The waves are hitting the side of the ship. It's about to be broken. I bet they'd never been in a storm like this. These guys had been, they'd been on boats before. They knew what was going on. This is something different. And when facing death, it seems men do a couple of things, two things. Number one, they cry out to whoever they think will help them. There's an old saying, there's not many, there's not many uh, atheists in a foxhole. When, when you're facing death, you will cry out to God, any God, every God that you think has the power to help you. And number two, they'll do everything in their own power to survive. These men, what were they doing? They were crying out to their own gods, and they were throwing their cargo overboard. Do you realize that's their money? That's what pays for the ship to get back and forth. They're throwing literally all of their possessions overboard. They're doing anything. They're crying out to their gods. It must have been a dire situation. Must have been difficult for them. They're about to die. Here they are throwing things over. God help us. What's Jonah doing? Sleeping. He's sleeping. Down below. I imagine him curled up in a little ball laying on the bottom part of the ship. There's probably water down there. It's probably stinky down there. It's probably not very clean and hot down there. And there he is, curled up in a ball, sleeping. It has been my observation in my own life, and sad to say that I don't know that I've run from the Lord as drastically as Jonah has, but I've had my moments where I've not wanted to do what the Lord called me to do. And for me, it produces sleeplessness in my life. If I, if I am not in the Lord's will for me, I have a hard time resting. I've got to get it straightened out. I've got to get it situated. He seems to put pressure on me. I have to be doing what God wants me to do or I can't sleep. It just, it just seems to leave me. Other people, perhaps like Jonah, they're just curling up in a ball, pulling the covers up over their head and saying, I hope it'll all go away tomorrow when I wake up. Some people respond differently. This is how Jonah's doing. He's down there sleeping. I'm sure he's hoping that somehow everything's going to be okay. God will find someone else. God will take care of the problem. God's going to forget about me. I just want it to go away. He's down there sleeping. Verse 6, so the captain came to him and he said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. In other words, everybody else has prayed, come on, Jonah, Call on your God. This, this must have been a little ironic to Jonah, don't you think? Think about how ironic this was to Jonah. Here Jonah is, what's he doing? He's fleeing from his God. And the captain of the ship wakes him up and says, hey, sleeper, get up. And what does he tell him to do? Call on your God. I can't call on my God. I'm running away from my God. I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with my God. And, but if you don't call on your God, we're about to die. You're a prophet of God. He's the one that knows the one true living God. 
He's the one that knows the God that has the power to stop all of this. Call on your God. I can't do that. So running out of options, they cast lots. They roll dice. They take a game of chance, hoping they would determine who the problem was. Look at verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I want you to notice something there. Jonah's disobedience brought trouble on everybody that he was around. Sometimes we think our disobedience only affects us. But it can bring trouble on every single person that's around us. Don't ever think it doesn't affect anybody but you. The Lord is faithful. He reveals Jonah as the problem. And he doesn't do this to embarrass him. He does this to change him. He brings it out so that it can be dealt with. He wants him to handle it. Can you just just see these questions being, perhaps it's like a, 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 a tribunal on a ship or something. Perhaps it's some kind of questioning going on. Why has this trouble come upon you? Because I'm running from God. Okay. What's your occupation? I'm a prophet of the one true living God. Okay, where are you from? What country? Israel. You know the God of Israel that parted the Red Sea and all this stuff. Yeah, all, all, the, all, all that. That's, 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 that's the God that I serve. I'm a prophet of, of him. All, all the miracles, yeah. He's, he's the one who made the sea and the dry land. Oh, by the way, did I tell you I'm running away from him? That's why this is happening. He, 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 he wants me to do something. I don't really want to do it. I don't really like the Gentiles. And he wants me to go preach to them. And I don't, I don't really want to do that. Look at their reaction, verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. This is, he's aware of this. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now that you know that I'm the problem, he says, just pick me up, toss me overboard. I would ask him, why don't you jump? Why do I have to throw you? Why do you want me to kill you? Why don't you go do it yourself if you're the problem here? Perhaps it was the fear of taking his own life. We don't know that. But you know what's amazing to me? It's amazing to me that at this point, as a prophet of God, it doesn't cross Jonah's mind I need to repent. I need to pray. Listen, my my life, the the circumstances of my life have gotten really bad right now. This is what Jonah's got to be thinking. You know, here I am. I'm facing death. I realize I'm the problem. This would be a good time to call out to God. They told him to call out to his God, and he says, no, I'm not calling out. I'm running. I'm I'm running away from him. This would be a really good time to say, Lord, I'm sorry. All right, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. I, I will go. He doesn't do that. He says, just throw me overboard. Just, just toss me overboard. He would rather die than walk in obedience. Because that's what he's facing. If you throw him overboard, he's going to die. That's the, that's the implied thing there. He's going to drown. And he is saying, throw me overboard. I would rather die than repent and walk in obedience to the Lord. 
I don't know about you, but if I have to die, and I know that we all do unless the Lord comes back, I want to die in obedience, not disobedience. Jonah goes, I don't care. I'm running from the Lord. Throw me overboard. Then I'll be dead. At least I won't have to go to Nineveh. That's his heart. Do you remember Jesus also slept in a boat during a storm? But there's a difference between Jonah and Jesus, a big difference. Yes, they're both sleeping when you think they would be awake, when there's a storm raging on the outside, when the storm is brewing. Jonah was in a state of denial. Jesus was in a state of dependence. Understand the difference. Jesus was in a state of dependence. Jonah was in a state of denial. Jesus slept confidently in the boat. He was unconcerned about the storm because he was trusting his father. He knew that he had control. Jonah was unconcerned with the father or with his will and was entrusting in no one. Can I encourage you that it's in a much better, it's much better to be in a place where we are completely and totally dependent upon the father. In that place of dependence rather than that place of denial or that place of running away. Jonah didn't care about the father or the father's will because the father's will was him to go to Nineveh and preach to them. And he wanted no part of that. These sailors, they just weren't ready to throw them overboard. They're not going to just toss them overboard. They're going to try it. We're not, we can't just kill them. Look there at verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. He told, throw me overboard. It'll stop. Nope, and we can't do it. But they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. So what was a bad storm in the beginning is getting worse. If the ship was about to break up in the beginning, it's getting far worse. Verse 14, therefore, watch this. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord, that's capital L, Lord, and said, we pray, O Lord. In other words, if Jonah's not going to pray to you, we will. We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. They cried out to the Lord when Jonah wouldn't. And immediately after throwing Jonah into the sea, the storm is calm. It goes away. Exactly what, it, what was said. The crew members were so impressed by what happened it says they worshiped God. They offered a sacrifice and they made vows. They made vows. In other words, they're, they're pledging to the Lord God of Israel. That's, that's who they're following. Even in his, this is the great thing, even in his disobedience, his missionary efforts are still happening. Only now he's sinking in the water. The sailors realize God is the creator and the controller of the sea and the winds as Jonah's thrown overboard. And here's the amazing thing. Jonah hates Gentiles. Who were these guys? Gentiles. He's the one getting overthrown overboard, and they're the one coming to belief in God. God is still using him in the midst of his disobedience. It provides an opportunity for these Gentile men to get saved. God used Jonah's rebellion as a cause for their salvation. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Of course he does. You're going to see that in the very next verse. But if you are on the run from God, if God has been calling you to something and you have been disobedient, 
Don't be surprised if the sea of life circumstances begin to rise up against you. Don't be surprised if God's allowing things to happen, perhaps the storms of life, to bring you to him and to bring you into that place of obedience. It'll seem like they're going to overtake you. But here's what we can, be, here's what we can trust. God's pursuing you. God wants you to, just like he wanted, I think it would have been great if Jonah, at this story would have just said, Lord, if Jonah would have said, Lord, just forgive me. I'll go do it. I'm off the Nineveh. Let, I'm here, let's go. It would have been great if the storm calmed, all the guys got saved, and he went off to Nineveh and did what he was supposed to. But that wasn't the case. He was, he was willing to die, willing to be thrown overboard instead of walking obedience. Don't ever let your heart get that hard. Come to the place and know that when God says, this is what I want you to do, this is what I want you to stop doing, this is what I want, this is the person I want you to talk to, this is the way I want you to stop thinking, whatever it is that as the Holy Spirit convicts your heart of something, take that step of obedience and goes, yes, Lord. Because if you don't, you're running from him. When the Lord says, this is what's right, and you go, I don't care. You're like Jonah going, I'm not, no, I don't care that you say I'm not supposed to do that, Lord, I'm doing it my way. Okay, don't be surprised when the storms of life start to build up and things start to go really wrong. It's not that he doesn't want to, to protect you, it's that he's trying to bring you to a place where you will finally go, Lord, forgive me. Now I've got it. Now I will follow you. And it's amazing to me that he pursues us through that and that he's even using us in that. I shared a story a long time ago. I, for one, believe that I fled my uh, calling to be a pastor for a long time. I believe that when I look back at my life, I can see the Lord pursuing me from very early on. I look back at my college years, and I've told the story here before. There's a point at one point in my life where I had an opportunity to lead someone else to Christ, uh, intoxicated at a party. I was literally intoxicated, but someone asked about God and about salvation, and I knew enough to say, sadly, and I actually prayed with someone to lead them to Christ, and I don't even know that I was a Christian but I knew the right words. That particular person ended up getting saved that night, left college, went on to seminary to become a pastor somewhere. I have no idea what happened to him. I lost track of him. But God's used me in that same situation where it's like, I'm not really following the Lord at all, but he's still using. If there's an area in your life that you're not being obedient in, if there's a calling on your life, there's nothing wrong with looking for confirmation from the Lord, but if there's something he's calling you to and you're not willing to walk into it for whatever reason, can I just encourage you that tonight needs to be the night that you lay down whatever it is that's keeping you from walking in obedience because your life is going to get a whole lot, I hate to use the word better, a whole lot more faithful, a whole lot more blessed, and I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually, if you'll walk in obedience to him as opposed to disobedience. And if you're walking in obedience, you know, amen. You've been there. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're in disobedience, you know right now the Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, this is what he's talking about, and you know exactly what he's, talking, what he's putting on your heart. Notice the final verse of the first chapter. He says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah says, I'll die before I go to Nineveh. God says, no, you won't. No, you won't. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And this is one of those stories. Jonah, in the belly of a fish or in the belly of a whale. People say, our critics are critics of the Bible. Do you really believe that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish? Yes, absolutely I do. How is it that you can believe that? Notice it says something there. The Lord prepared a great fish. 
Now, we naturally assume it's a whale, but it could have, could have been any other kind of specially prepared fish or, or any other animal for that purpose that would have been in the water. We're not sure exactly. There's some language questions there. But let me ask you this. Certainly, the God who created heaven and earth could prepare a fish for this purpose, don't you think? And there are many stories in, throughout history of other people that have been eaten by a whale and survived it. It's, if you're interested, you can Google it, and there's some controversy, but they're out there. You can read the stories of them. They're, he's not the only one. Certainly, our God is able to do that. And you say, well, yeah, I understand that, but is there, is there, can you give me a little more evidence of this? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus said, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If Jesus referred to Jonah, that's pretty good evidence for me. If Jesus said, as Jonah was, he, in other words, he's substantiating Jonah was, that's pretty good for me. I'm good with that. I don't have any problem believing that. This is very clear to me. And since Jesus compared his experience to Jonah's, that's enough for me to believe that Jonah literally and physically was a real person who was swallowed by a whale, who will spend three days and three nights, and then will come out and live to obey God. Now, where are you at with it? You know, could, is, is the Lord going to send a whale to swallow you up if you're in disobedience? I hope not. Uh, but you know what? If that's what it would take to bring you to obedience, I hope so. I wonder how many little things happened along the way. I mean, you know, Jonah wasn't willing to even pray to God on the ship. He wasn't even willing to talk to God. He wasn't even willing to repent. And that's his mistake because I think that as we follow the Lord, we're all going to have many, many times of disobedience in our life. We're going to have times where the Lord says, hey, I want you to do this. And you go, I don't know, Lord. I'm going to share a quick story with you. I haven't shared this in a long time. Maybe you may not have heard it. So before, when we were living down in, uh, in Wellington, Florida, the Lord woke me up one night in the middle of the night, and uh, it was about two o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't go back to sleep, and I felt like he was telling me to go over to, go walk around the neighborhood and over where the, there was a community pool there, and I want you to go tell this guard, security guard, who's going to be there, I want you to go tell him about Jesus. And I thought this was kind of a dream. I thought, this is kind of weird. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. i got to get up and go to work tomorrow. I don't really want to go do that. So I tried to go back to sleep, and I tried to go back to sleep, and I tried to go back. I couldn't go back to sleep. So I got up, and I got dressed, and I put my shoes and socks on, and I got out and went out in the house, 2.30 in the morning. I didn't even know if there was a security guard over there, but I walked around the lake over to this pool, and I walked by the security guard, literally walked by him. And I waved to him, and he waved to me, and I walked by, and I sat down on a bench. And the Lord's impressing upon my heart I want you to go tell this guy about me and I can remember asking like Lord what, what does that look like how do I just walk up to this guy that I don't know and I wasn't a pastor then I was still a police officer I said, how do I walk up to this guy and, and tell this guy that I don't know about you and clear as day I felt like the Lord said go ask him a question ask him who he worships I'm like well that doesn't really help you can't walk up to somebody you don't know and ask him who do you worship that's just kind of weird and finally I'm, you know, I said I probably sat on the bench for a good probably 15 minutes, I guess. And I just, I, I wanted to go back to sleep. I'm like, all right, all right, fine. I'll go ask the guy who he worships, then I can go back to bed. So I got up, I walked around, walked to the guy, he waved to me, I waved back, and I said, I got a question for you. I go, it's gonna sound kind of weird. He goes, go ahead. And uh, he, 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 was, he said, go ahead, what is it? I said, well, who do you worship? And he looked at me like I had three heads. He's like, what are you talking about? Who? I said, well, no, who do you, I said, everybody worships something. What, who, who is it that you worship? And he goes, well, I don't know, I never really thought about that. 
Well, a two-hour conversation ensued, and by the end of the night, I led him to Christ. Exactly what the Lord had woken me up for. It was a chance for me to be obedient and walk with the Lord called me to do that. But it was weird. It was outside of my comfort zone. It was something that I didn't want to do. I could have said, no, I'm not going. But unlike Jonah, I couldn't sleep. So I figured I've got to go do this. And when I did that, when I left it, that gentleman and I became friends. Over the next several months, we exchanged. I would go talk to him often in the evening and talk to him about the Lord. And we would share stories. And, and he got a, I bought him a Bible. And he started reading his Bible. And we had all kinds of conversations about it. All because the Lord led me to go do that at one particular time. Now, he doesn't do that to me very often. And I'm not saying he'll do it to you every night or anything like that. But when he does, are you willing to walk in obedience? Or... When he says to you, hey, there's this thing in your life, and it really needs to change. There's this sin that you're, you're, you know what my word says here. You know, what, you know what it says, but you're not doing it. And I want you to change. You see, either way, it's disobedience if you fail to heed what God calls you to do. Either way, it's running from the presence of the Lord. As Christians, obedience is key to our Christianity. If he's our God, he's our creator, who knows better than what we need than he does? But when I disobey, when I say, no, Lord, I can't live without this thing, I can't do it without that thing, or I'm not, I'm not capable, I'm not skilled enough, I don't have the right words to do what you're asking me to do, who then are we elevating above him? We're saying we know better, I know better than you do, Lord. But yet when we simply say, yes, Lord, and we walk, and no different than me at that night at the, at the pool where he gave me the words to speak and I got the blessing of leading this man to Christ. So we've lost touch over the years. Someday I'll see him in eternity and I can't wait to see him there. Someday I'll see him and I can't wait for that. But no different than whether it's that or whether it's the Lord knocking on your heart saying, hey, there's something that needs to change tonight. Do you run from or do you run to the Lord? It would be my prayer that as we study Jonah, we're going to see next week in chapter 2, Jonah's going to come to the place where he needs to be. He's going to come in, through prayer to the Lord. He's going to cry out to the Lord because of his affliction, and the Lord will answer him. But it would be my prayer that tonight, if you're in a place of disobedience, tonight would be the night that you rearrange that. Instead of being disobedient, be obedient.